Hello, this is Shonda Smith-Baker from the Minneapolis Foundation, where I am the Senior Vice President of Impact and the host of Conversations with Shonda. The reason why I wanted to have a conversation with Akua is because she's she's just incredible. She uh, has such insights and I see her as a partner. I got, I came to the Minneapolis Foundation maybe six months or so before Akua moved uh, into her role at Greater Twin Cities United Way. I got to know Akua when we partnered when I was the CEO and president of Pillsbury United Communities and she was at Target. And since that time, we have just continued to build our relationship. And so it's, it's completely awesome that we're in the same field now, working towards the same end to make this community work better for everyone. In our relationship, which plays out both personally and professionally, we are really clear on our strengths and how do we leverage them to sharpen each other in this work. So you are Akua Ellis, the Senior Vice President of Community Impact at the Greater Twin Cities United Way. Yes, I am. And you've been in that role for how long? One year last week. Oh my goodness, one year already? Yeah, I'm still claiming new status though. Oh, how long? I'm gonna be new for 18 months. Okay, how long? Oh, 18 months, 18 (laughs) months. Yeah, I'm I'm claiming new until then. I think that's fair. Yeah. Do you still feel new? Uh, there are times when I do and other times where it feels like I've been doing it for a while, which is like cool and uh, unexpected. Yeah. So you came into United Way. <laughs> I'm just I just have to go there. Right. Yeah, because please do. Um, I, Nothing's I can't off even, the top or yeah, I, man, I can't even remember if it was your first day or before your first day. But it was um, right when the uh, notice went out that Sarah Caruso was leaving. Yeah, it was the week before I started. So you get hired, and then the week before, you go into a meeting and you find out that the CEO is leaving? Yep. What what was that like? You know, I tell people, I was just actually having a conversation with friends when I got the notice the day before that um, Sarah was going to announce her retirement. Um, And I said, you know what, everywhere that I've been, there's been some major shift shortly after I arrived. Um, And so I just, I have come to to know about myself that I'll figure it out um, and I come out all right on the other end. Um, and no sooner than those words left my mouth that I looked out at my phone, I was like, holy cow, we're about to put it to the test. Um, and so, so yeah, I started, I had um, a good month, month and a half to work with Sarah. Um, and so that was, I was fortunate to have that time. Um, and yeah, it was a, a swift transition for sure. Mm-hmm. And I sat on the United Way board, I may have just, gotten off of that board Mm. and so I know that there were other key roles that had just recently transitioned and you're coming into an environment where not just a CEO but that there had been some significant changes Mm -hmm. and tensions really Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. um, the funding shortages and changes in its investment strategies. So how did you care for your team in that? Oh, that's a great question. you know, the honest truth is uh, probably not enough, if, mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm frank. Um, when I joined, there were a number of uh, kind of factors converging, um, pretty significant individually and together. It was like the perfect storm. So, um, you know, Sarah left shortly afterward. Um, 
two of my direct reports uh, went on maternity leave weeks apart from each other. And then um, I had a previously scheduled uh, trip before I accepted the role. Um, and the day that I left, two of our most senior uh, members of the team uh, just put in their notice without anything lined up, um, just, just rolled out. Um, and so that was the first maybe four or five months of the role. Um, also being clear that um, one of our grant multi-year grant cycles had ended and we were extending that. Um, another one was set to end next month now and then we had not too recently um, approved grants in another area and we're projecting this, um, this shortfall. Uh, what was important to me um, was arriving at a decision for how we would make the calls uh, to prevent some major kind of knee-jerk reaction in the future that was avoidable was to get really clear um, as quickly as possible about the direction of our work so that we could communicate to our partners in timely fashion uh, what they could expect from us um, and how we were making choices and why. Um, we wanted to be really, really good partners. Um, and in hindsight, um, you know, I, there's there's not a lot that I would do differently except for um, take the time to to just really wrestle with the team about what was in front of me. I was asking questions. I was talking with a bunch of different stakeholders, um, and I pulled all that information together and said, "Okay, team, here's the play." Um, they each informed it, but I didn't bring them along as much as I would have liked to um, in hindsight. Um, I will say along the way, um, you know, we've evaluated um, things like role clarity, um, made uh, uh, investments in the team along the way, um, and and I think that's felt. We just recently did a, a survey, and you know, 100% of my team feels like their leader cares about them, and that means a lot to me. Um, and you know, there's there's been a significant amount of work in a short period of time, and so I am profoundly grateful uh, for the way the folks kind of rolled up their sleeves and got it done, um, and that you know they have not been shy about expressing <laughs> <laughs> when when there are opportunities for us to do the work better and to to move um, more aligned with um, how we intend to show up. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm someone who. Uh, pays a great deal of attention to aligning my intent with my impact. Um, and I count my team as really strong partners in ensuring that um, I'm maintaining integrity to that mm -hmm. and that we as an agency are. Yeah. Before you arrived at the United Way, you were at Catholic Charities. I was. And um, I say that, you know, we were both on the other side of the work <laughs> and now we're on this side. What um, surprised you the most when you came into your role? the breadth of the work being done. You know, so I was, I was coming on board, you know, folks would show up, give a, a briefing on what they've been doing, or I'm digging into documents that have been prepared um, to help me uh, on board. And I can't tell you how many times in the first month that I uttered the phrase, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Who knows about this? There's so much work that's happening um, that, that we've got to be better about like lifting up to the light of day. Uh, we've got an incredible platform to do that. 
um, and figuring out the, the way to communicate all of the work that the Greater Twin Cities United Way is advancing um, in a way that is consistent and um, you know clearly articulated to the community is, is an ongoing opportunity. Um, I had some cousins that came to visit uh, a few months ago, they, they were in town for my birthday, and um, you know, I'm meeting them at the hotel. We're having a conversation, and it's like a like a long pause, and I see them like exchanging glances. And one, the brave one, says, "So, Akua, uh, we were trying to figure out on the way up here, what is it that you do?" <laughs> I felt like Tommy on Martin, like you know, I work in the black building on the corner. Mm -hmm. um, well, my my, uh, my nephew thought I worked for Nordstroms. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look like <laughs> I see. I, I told him because um, Nordstrom's were in the IDS and yeah. Nordstrom's oh. was on the corner. Okay. So I had him bring me something, yeah. and he goes, "Wait, what? I thought you worked for Nordstrom's." And I'm like, "Now, what is the point of having all these conversations with you?" Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you think I work for Nordstrom's? Yeah, it's yeah. still there's you know there's it's hard to distill that level of complexity into a soundbite. Um, we're working on it. Mm -hmm. Do you? Um, so not only were you coming into United Way during leadership transitions, but really following what I would say has been one of the most difficult parts of the United Way story. You know, I don't I wasn't really around and like mature enough in my leadership when they merged. I don't know if I was as tuned in when the was same. About 10 years ago? Yeah, well, no, I think that no, was about 20, what, 20 years. Was it? Yeah, so when um, the St. Paul United Way in Minneapolis merged, I know that it created a lot of disruption and people on, on both sides of the river were were um, concerned about what how that would play out. Mm -hmm. But you came in following some really significant cuts mm -hmm. and um, disappointment and really outrage from the nonprofit community. Yeah. Did that, clearly that didn't sway you away from um, coming into the work, but it just it just um, sh strikes me that you're coming into a staff that's in some level of of grievance mm -hmm. and uh, you know grieving the loss of the colleagues, colleagues, mm -hmm. or what even United Way maybe once was mm -hmm. in their minds, um, and then you have nonprofits that some could say maybe some felt entitled. Um, but certainly they have a responsibility to meet payroll and they wouldn't want to Absolutely. disappoint the community. So yeah. how, how did you, um, did you think about how to reconcile that and repair? Yes. Uh, that was front and center. Uh, you know, folks are not shy. Uh, and having worked in community in various capacities for a number of years, I've got a lot of relationships and uh, those folks certainly were not shy about um, how they experienced uh, Greater Twin Cities United Way. Um, and when I first uh, announced that I was taking the role, it was interesting, I'd have a, a few people say, so what are you gonna do when you get there? And I'm, I'm gonna listen. And you know, you see folks that confused looks on their face, like you're not gonna change anything and you're not gonna, like you don't have a, a point of view. And it's like, well, sure, I've always got a point of view, mm -hmm. um, but it's super important to me um, to listen so that whatever I show up with and offer back, I can speak to how the folks that I'm that I'm ultimately um, seeking to support have informed that work. Um, you know, and, I, and sometimes I get it right, and sometimes, as I mentioned earlier with the team, you know, there's opportunities to do that better. Um, I will say that we sought out to be transparent in like what was up. Like so, here. Here's what it is, um, good, bad, 
or other. Um, here's the the direction that we're headed, um, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Was was what we uh, shared back with community in October, but that was after like a massive effort to just listen. Um, you know, we arrived at a if if in three to five years we were successful, where would we see a difference? And kind of mapped backwards, um, and then we went to test it. Okay, so here's what we think. Did we get it right? What are we missing? How might we measure this? Are we thinking about the indicators in the right way? Um, talk to donors, talk to uh, longstanding grantees. Um, we talked to independent subject matter experts, called all that together, and then went out again in a survey and said, okay, here's what we heard. What is the extent to which you agree with all of this? Um, and took that information, refined. So it was a constant iterative process, pretty rapid iteration. Um, but it was when we shared out in October, it was absolutely reflective of what we had heard. Um, and I think people saw that. I think they felt heard. I think they felt respected. At least that's what I've heard. And I feel like um, people would tell me if that <laughs> weren't the case, um, at least some folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt it, it was not easy for sure, but I right. felt good about where we landed because it represented some great thinking from the team and was refined by the folks that we seek to support. Right. And so you just recently um, announced um, cuts to nonprofits across the cities. I would like to reframe that. We announced $14 million in investment. A a proper reframe. (laughs) But my point, I think, will still be the same in that some of the organizations um, had a reduction in what sure. they may have um, received from sure. you in the past, sure. from United Way in the past. Sure. But the response feels remarkably different mm-hmm. than how it felt when those those cuts came in a couple of years ago. I appreciate and, that. And do you think that that's been an investment of, of listening and, and coming back and being in a different relationship? Listening and respecting. Uh, you know, we spent an inordinate amount of time um, up front after we shared, like here's, there was a month between when we shared out the strategy and to when the RFP was opened. Spent a good amount of time like helping folks understand what was in it. Um, and then made ourselves available all across the metro area to you know help folks shoot their, their best shot. Um, and then had conversations up front if folks didn't make that first cut versus waiting until the end, which would have been easier and more comfortable, honestly. Um, to to just do one fell swoop, but it was really important to the team and important to me and important to the board um, that, again, we operate transparently and share the information that we knew as soon as we were able to do that Um, to the point where when the board approved that final round of grants or the the awards, um, within two days, we already were on the phone talking with folks, um, helping them understand um, the decisions, how we arrived at those decisions. Um, we made ourselves available even for individuals or organizations that didn't make that first cut for one-on-one calls to talk through you know, where there were opportunities to strengthen the application next time. Because at the end of the day, if the, the nonprofits that we support are not successful, we're not successful. Um, and there is a clear understanding that there is interdependence um, and that there was some disappointment with, um, you know, in some areas where folks had received larger grants in the past. Um, and where possible, we tried to illuminate, like, here's the broader context 
Um, and here's here's how we arrived at this uh, decision. And then for those areas that we leaned out of, so health, um, independence, and uh, legal aid, to, to communicate that this isn't a function of you all not doing good work. This is in service. To, first of all, we need to narrow our focus. Um, and this is in service to that strategy. It's not at all an indictment on the quality of the work mm -hmm. um, that you all are producing. And there are ways that we can continue to partner outside of the multi-year grant making mm -hmm. um, space. So all of those things, it was super, um, it was labor intensive and um, it allowed the space to build relationship in real time. And I think that went a long way. So United Way announced, the board announced last week, I think, that there's a new CEO? Uh, almost two weeks ago. Two weeks. Yeah, he started Monday, last Monday. Tell us about him. Uh, John Wilgers is um, an amazing uh, partner and supporter of United Way, has been engaged with a United Way in some form or fashion since he uh, graduated college, started as a loaned executive, um, has been a long time donor. In fact, was um, in one of the first sessions that I had with donors to test out our strategy. So it's great to see someone who's, you know, been informed and informed, um, informed by and has informed the, the strategy um, to come in and with such a strong affinity for and knowledge of Greater Twin Cities United Way. So we're excited to have him on board. Awesome. Uh, and actually, I, I failed to mention that he was he failed retirement, um, most recently came from Ernst & Young as a managing partner there. So I'm gonna pull out of kind of United Way specifically and sure. just go into philanthropy sure. a little bit more. And, um, you know, I'm coming out of the conversations with Shonda, the, the live um, recordings that we did with Robin, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, and the Decolonizing Wealth conversation, mm -hmm. which you were part of. Mm -hmm that and um, there's lots that we can celebrate in our work and in philanthropy and there's plenty of great work that's happening but mm -hmm. there is a road ahead mm -hmm. and um, do you see philanthropy having a role in decolonizing wealth or um, moving forth more equitable ways of doing its business yes and yes and how so uh, I would say uh, first there's a role or an opportunity for philanthropy to help folks become more curious about the why behind the work that philanthropy seeks to support. And who define folks? Uh, right, so that is my, uh, my, <laughs> my Iowa colloquialism. Uh -huh. uh, so I would say the broader public. Okay. You know, I think it's easy for um, those of us who have been working kind of in in the field um, of nonprofit leadership. Um, I've had the, the benefit of, of working to support community in multiple uh, capacities, be it corporate, governmental, um, nonprofit, and, and now um, as, as an intermediary at uh, United Way, it still surprises me how many people, how many like just well-intentioned individuals have very little understanding about some of the systemic issues that plague our community and um, necessitate a crisis response, right? So, um, like, uh, putting on my, my kind of Catholic social teaching hat from my, my prior role at Catholic Charities, we used to talk about, like, the two feet of love and action. You know, there's charity, and then there's social justice. Um, and very often, people confuse charity. Like, so I show up, and I serve meals, and that's great. And I want for more people to be curious about why do I see the same person in this line 
uh, every time I come to serve, why am I seeing older people in my line than when I used to come here? You know, what is happening and what is precipitating um, those shifts? Philanthropy has a role in illuminating some of those um, challenges, um, honestly, uh, with integrity, uh, with grace. I think that's important as well. Um, but more than anything, um, in a way that is honest and um, honors the experiences of those with, uh, with like lived experience with a particular issue. That's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, and I think there are more opportunities for us to continue mm-hmm. to do that. One of the, the stats that I understand is that there's less people of color working in philanthropy now than there was 10 years ago. I believe that. Why do you believe that? It's, you know, it's an interesting mix where um, I, I imagine it's the culmination of, you know, being in a in a position in a seat of power in some ways, um, and seeing need and being to some extent constrained, and in some instances, a large extent constrained in what you actually can say and do in service to addressing that need. Uh, which is why it takes me back to the, the point that I think we've gotta be willing to wrestle. Um, and philanthropy is a perfect platform for wrestling with hard truths so that we can get clear about what is driving the need. So for example, um, if I work at a clinic and somebody fell and bust their kneecap and I bandage their elbow, mm-hmm. like yeah. they're still gonna be hurt. I, I cared for them, I provided a service, but it didn't match their need. You know, so that's one aspect of it. And then if I keep seeing people coming in the office with with broken kneecaps and I don't get curious about well, what is happening? It's the same the same injury, and I don't get curious enough to realize that just outside the door, there's a crack in the sidewalk. <laughs> um, then how am I even going to address the the underlying cause that is creating the need for that support? And I feel like there's there's a lot of talk. Um, let me just back up. So when I first started working in policy when I was in graduate school, there was there was a project we were working on looking at the housing jobs and transportation mismatch. And I wanted to talk about the role of racism in um, issues of housing mismatch. And my colleagues uh, were really resistant to adding that sort of language into the document because in their minds, like race has nothing to do with this. Um, and I got so fired up and I said, you know what? like. I don't care if I have to write the whole section myself, it will be in the document. And how are we as policymakers, future policymakers, like that oblivious? Like when you're not taking into account the full experience of the folks that you're seeking to serve with policy, then you are doomed to make an ineffective like policy. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna see the same, it's gonna just, it's like whack-a-mole, it's gonna show up in a different way if you can't be honest and name part of, not that that's the sole reason for it, but it's, it's got a role, and if you can't even acknowledge it because it's uncomfortable, then you're going to produce inadequate policies. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, to me, it's, it's that um, black and white, but it is uncomfortable, and part of 
um, what I feel like has contributed to persistent and in some instances deepening disparities is that all of this work has moved uh, at the speed of the comfort of people in charge. And and I, I say that repeatedly, I believe it wholeheartedly. And then when it came down to making decisions about where we were leaning in and leaning out of from a grant making um, experience uh, perspective, I experienced it. Um, and, and I still believe it, you know, those were not easy calls to make, um, literally and figuratively, to arrive at a decision point and then to actually have to be the one on the phone talking to folks and walking them through that decision. Mm -hmm. None of that was easy and I think it was necessary. If as an organization we've said, we're going to disrupt inequity, I want us to be laser focused on what those persistent inequities are so that as we're partnering with organizations um, in service to that disruption, um, we've got our eyes on the same prize. Mm -hmm. And you can take that same policy analogy in in some respects and move it into philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think that as a field, we're talking about race enough? I think we're talking around race. Okay. Um, and I'm tired of talking. Okay. Uh, I Do you think it's coded? Is it coded or... You know, so what I was starting to say earlier with the, the, the conversation about with my colleagues, so there was a resistance to name race as a factor. And then, you know, uh, the demographics started to come in and, you know, we had the state demographer and others in the Federal Reserve Bank talking about um, the, the shifting makeup of our community and what that meant for our long term um, economic viability. And I thought, all right. We're talking about disparities. Like disparities are not new to anybody who's been on the receiving end um, of them or on the losing end of a disparity. Um, but for the first time, I thought like, okay, we're having real conversation about the fact that the experience or access to the American dream, in quotes, um, is, not, is not equitable, right? Um, but I feel like we've, we've gotten stuck there. So now we're willing to name it. We're willing to talk about it. Um, and it's we're at a place where we need to to make some hard decisions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think folks like the thought of equity, but not the feel of it when it means um, you know you're you're providing support or resources proportionate to the need, and everybody doesn't have the same level of need, well, and that becomes people uncomfortable. Like, people like equity until they lose something. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> you know, privilege is a zero sum game. Yeah. Like the like at its essence, in order for us to to, to create equity um, and to reduce the discrepancy in privilege, like it is in essence a zero sum game. So if I am become more privileged than someone who's remaining static, like has less of a kind of jump on me. If if my status is raising and they're remaining static, and we're closing the privilege gap. In some instances, like they're losing privilege, you know, and and that's uncomfortable. And privilege, in from my perspective, is not just like white, black, people of color. It's position, it's status. I think Edgar spoke to that mm -hmm. um, a bit in terms of even leaders of color in philanthropy that he was working for, you know, being concerned with with losing status, not status, standing. I'm really struggling with this. 
Um, well, you talked about internalized oppression, right? Yeah, and that, yeah. that were there's so few people of color that emerge into these roles. Yeah that it can feel competitive in a, an unhealthy way. And so when someone else enters, you're thinking like there's not enough space and you're reacting and not, you know, creating a competition or you don't know how to support. Or in some cases, you feel like if I show too much support, then it's going gonna, like, gonna, to gonna, it's gonna create a problem for me. I've experienced that. Okay. Say more about that because I think we've all, well. Yeah, like, not in philanthropy, but yeah. in, a, in a prior leadership role. Um, there was an understanding, you know, what they say was understood, don't have to be explained. And working <laughs> working with um, an individual where there was an, just an unspoken understanding prompted for other folks on the team to feel like there was, there was favoritism, especially because that person was like, I'm riding for you. Um, you know, that created a... <laughs> It just so, created a so tension. So there was another was, woman of color that was supporting you? It was a male of color. That was being supportive of you? Yep. And that because they were being so supportive, other that, people were questioning it and saying- Questioning my, um, my ability to be um, objective, hmm. uh, you know, projecting favoritism onto that person. Hmm. Not understanding or seeing, and it wasn't necessarily their business that I was harder on that person because there was a level of comfort and I knew that they understood what my intent was. And that part of me really leaning in was a belief in their ability to meet those expectations. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. but that wasn't what was observed. There is an interesting dance mm -hmm. that um, we navigate in the space, um, both what we face as leaders of color um, inside of the organizations and institutions that we've been part of but there also was an expectation and a, a demand from the community that comes with it. Did you get it right? You, you better, better get, get it right. right. <laughs> <laughs> you better not disappoint us. Absolutely. Um, that, for me, that's one of the um, the greatest sort of burdens, if you will. Um, it doesn't it doesn't feel like an 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 obligation in the worst sense. Yeah. But it feels like I owe that to community, right? Like I want community to hold me accountable, mm -hmm. but I also feel that like every day I come to work yes. is am I doing right by the community? Yep. It's the burden of brilliance. Ah, the I have to use that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's real. Um, when I was announced in this role, I heard from a lot of people who were super excited. People still tell me, when, oh, when they announced that you were joining the United Way, like the hood rejoiced, you know, and I thought like, that's awesome. But wait till we make these grant awards. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> because I knew I had some hard decisions ahead. Um, and that also weighed on me as we were going throughout this whole process. Um, you know, how do I leverage the, the authority that's been entrusted uh, with with my role, um, you know, to be as thoughtful as possible about creating the context where everyone, regardless of the resources they had available to them, could do their best work and could shine. Um, that was, um, that weighed heavily on me. You know, I see people now and they're like, I haven't seen you in forever. And for the last year, I really have been under a rock and and probably even when I've been out, I probably should have been at home because all I could think about was right. this process. Um, and like, I gotta get it right. Like, mm -hmm. I gotta get it right. And not just for communities of color, but like knowing 
um, you know, the donors have expectations and that those longstanding legacy organizations have expectations and just so many perspectives to take into account. It's a lot. Um, and to whom much is given, much is required. And, and I remind myself of that and I believe that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a level of responsibility that I don't think many people understand because I also know that like job, uh, you know, notwithstanding that like my family, that my family, that my nieces and nephews, that, that I am in many cases, um, creating a blueprint as I'm walking. Like I think about that every day. Yeah. And, and that you have people watching and looking up to you and being inspired by, I actually just remember when we were working on opening up, um, North market, the grocery store in North Minneapolis, and I was showing uh, the plans to my family. Yeah, and they they said, "Don't get us excited. If you can't get it open, don't even talk to us about it." <laughs> yeah, right? Like, no, that's and and me just saying like some of the things that I set out to do. Once I say them out loud, you know, I go home <laughs> and my neighbors and people mm-hmm. are like, "Don't you disappoint us? Mm-hmm. Like, you better make sure that this happens yeah. because we really want this to happen yeah. and don't disappoint us." Like, that's a huge weight. It is. It is. It is. And I, um, and it's a privilege. It is a privilege. Yeah. It is a privilege. If you were to look back, right, and, and all that um, you will be able to do in your role at United Way, mm-hmm. what would give you the, the sense that because you were there, this got better? If five years from now, let's say, the headline was, you know, Minnesota makes the largest um, stride at decreasing disparities. Mm-hmm. Like broadly, because even though we're only working in three areas, if if we're successful in partnership with organizations like the Minneapolis Foundation and others, it really getting upstream at the same time as we're supporting real-time support, um, I think that there is an opportunity for us to to make that happen. I think it's possible. I am, I am a ruthless pragmatist and an eternal optimist. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the the things that has um, weighed a little bit heavy on me is um, the Justine settlement. Yeah. And two million dollars came to the Minneapolis Foundation. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of um, investments that we make that. Um, you know, I feel completely comfortable about where I'm going and where I'm headed. And I think I have a very good sense um, because I'm not removed from mm-hmm. how I see the challenge of those dollars and the the lack of justice for so many people. Yeah. Um, but I also understand the opportunity that exists with being able to make the investments of that two million dollars into community mm-hmm. that perhaps wouldn't have been there. Yeah. What advice might you have for me? That's a big question. Well, that's why you're here. Yeah. That is it. Is it unrestricted? It's within a no, it's not unrestricted, but it, it has to go towards it's it's it was a, a donation made to our fund for safer communities. Um, so addressing um, violence and making communities safer. It's not just police community, yeah, but it is yeah. just, you know, that those are the restrictions on it. I would 
I would start by listening. Um, I think it's important to share what the parameters are for those dollars, um, what constraints exist, and be upfront about that. So, you know, we're not selling anybody a bill of goods. Um, I would be transparent and share what your dreams are for those dollars. Um, and then be clear about your openness to hearing from others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would hope that what comes from community listening um, goes beyond just police and policing. Um, you know, I had a, a, a political candidate reach out to me and, um, you know, share with me their platform and public safety was one of their areas of interest. Um, as well as housing and they were thinking of them as separate. And I said, you know, what if additional dollars didn't go into the police department, but went into code inspection to ensure that, you know, broken windows were fixed. You know, if you think about the, the broken window theory, um, what if they went into fixing up properties that have been tax forfeited and turning them over to land trusts? You know, like how do we think about public safety in a way that is broader? Um, and how do we animate the imagination of folks who've been sitting up uh, ruminating on and thinking about what you should be doing um, and give them an opportunity to express that. You know, um, oftentimes when I have shown up at a community meeting or facilitated a community meeting or been on the receiving end <laughs> of some community organizing, um, what I try to remind myself of is that the folks that are um, demonstrating some measure of frustration and anger are people who haven't felt like they've had a platform um, or an outlet uh, or that anybody was listening. And so I think that's a real opportunity for um, community to be positioned as subject matter experts and for you to um, for you to shine for the bridge that I know you are and bring them together. Mm. Thank you. I thought you were going to say, like, don't be too hard on yourself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so you better get it right. <laughs> right. No, I'm sure you already are feeling that. Yeah. So um, you have um, been really uh, present in the public policy space. Mm -hmm. And I think you gravitate towards that policy lens. I know you have a thing for transportation. <laughs> like that gets you it is when, when I retire, up. I'm gonna be a <laughs> I'm like that's your thing. Yeah. Um, what What do you think are the most um, important public policy moves that are happening right now that people should be paying attention to? You know. Um, we recently applied for um, a grant that DHS put together uh, that was super intentional about lifting up community voice um, in a way that I've not seen government be. Uh, it actually, we didn't apply, we were about to apply and realized that that's not for us. Um, and I really applaud governmental entities, especially monoliths like DHS being um, more intentional about how to leverage their power, their authority, um, and also being willing to position themselves as leaders. In fact, they didn't want a baked out answer. Um, and it's rare that you get funding um, or that funding is given to like search for an answer and not come 
to the table with something already baked out. So I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. In terms of our own evolution, do you see uh, the process at United Way evolving? Because there's there's lots of side, you know, rumblings around the United Way application and the reporting process that will like take your whole life. <laughs> well, we're trying to adjust that. Okay. <laughs> so I'll tell you what we're doing differently. Uh, and then folks can let me know whether or not uh, our intent is meeting the, the impact. Um, or the other way yeah, around. Uh, something that we did this go around as we were finalizing the grant agreements was to say, okay, so you asked for this. Um, and when you proposed your work, uh, you said you would serve this many people with these dollars. Now, let's be real about the fact that what we're granting is not what you asked for. Um, and what that looks like in terms of how many people you'll be able to serve and what we should expect in terms of outcomes. That is a conversation that our program officers are having in person with folks. Um, we'll be gathering our grantees um, later this summer to just share, here's how we're intending to show up. Um, I want for every organization that is receiving Greater Twin Cities United Way dollars to feel like they have a partner in us um, and that we are committed to their success. So there's, we we are on the hook for, you know, we've got to have something to 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 show for the dollars that folks entrust um, with us. And um, I think it's incumbent upon us, or it's in our best interest to support our partners along the way um, to to show and prove. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there will be, um, you know, more touches. It may feel a little big brotherish, which is why we're having the conversation up front to say like, here's our intent and you know, we can adjust where necessary. Um, but it's important to me that our program officers are in relationship um, and that we're, we're catching things. If you, know, if you signed up to serve 200 people and you ran into XYZ roadblock, that's something that I want to come up in um, you know, one of the touches that my program officers has with that organization. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, results will inform grant making going forward um, and we don't want that to be a surprise i love that it's an evolving um process and that you're open to hearing feedback mm -hmm. and um i'm assuming that you got good feedback from the community partners that they actually want to be in closer relationships yes. with you and you know united way always talked about being a partner right mm -hmm. philanthropy talks about partnership mm -hmm. with with their uh community organizations and most of the time that partnership looks like a granting, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time it actually is a more of a transaction mm -hmm. um, with, with two talks, you know, touches yeah. a year in yeah. terms of the, the application and then the report, a report, right? And so have you, um, how are you evolving what it means to be a partner to the United Way? Like you've touched on it in some ways, but mm -hmm. have you explicitly kind of looked at, yeah. um, if you're using the same language, how does someone identify now with the use of a word that you used before and it looked a different mm -hmm. way? Sure. So what we've shared with folks is there are multiple ways to partner with us, regardless of whether or not an organization is receiving multi-year funds. Um, one is in um, the fact that we'll continue to um, steward or facilitate designations. So as donors are interested in a specific organization, even if they're not a multi-year grantee, we will still facilitate um, that donation. Uh, another is around volunteer uh, recruitment. Um, and then there's our grant making, but within the grant making, um, we're developing what we're calling communities of practice that is more holistic than a, like a standard 
that is intended, let me just say that, intended to be more holistic than a standard um, convening where we're bringing all of our multi-year grant making portfolios together. Um, and that is, at least for the next uh, six months, informed by the applications. We asked in the applications, you know, what do you see as the, the biggest challenges um, to achieving whatever work that you set forth to do in the application um, and, and bubbled up some themes and that will inform the community of practice. And the hope is that, you know, folks working in areas um, across our portfolio areas, our impact areas, um, can learn from each other, that they're sharing best practices, that we're identifying, um, you know, practice-based best practices um, so that we're able to elevate that up to the to the broader community um, and advance and support each other as we mm -hmm. as we move along. So those are some examples yeah. of a partnership. I guess I have one more question about the United sure. Way or one more thing that I want, I hope that you can um, shed a little bit of light on sure. is that because you distinguish in terms of multi-year grants, yeah. like I'm hearing your yeah. language and I just yeah. want to like pull that out a little bit for, for the audience yeah. to say that United Way um, I don't even know, it's 105 years old, I think, mm -hmm. um, for in its length of time, it really, um, their investments were these multi-year grants mm -hmm. that went out in this competitive process. Mm -hmm. But it has changed with some of the trends that we're seeing in philanthropy um, to more designations. And so is United Way, um, is the budget declining all the way or are there shifts in the way that That's money is coming in? Yeah. that um, maybe you can help people understand? Yes, thank you for that. Um, so the short answer is yes, there are um, changes in how the, the dollars are coming in. We're seeing uh, a rise in some of those larger gifts um, from higher net worth, not higher net worth individuals um, and or corporate uh, foundations that have an area of particular interest where they may come to us and General Mills is an example with our Full Eyes um, program to say, you know, we want to work on uh, food system sustainability in North Minneapolis, um, can you help us? And so we worked in partnership with the community organizations and General Mills to, to create what became Full Lives. There's more of that happening to the point where when I, um, redid our structure or redid our strategy i restructured the team to support that so that there was the space for um, our multi-year um, which i think of as like our bread and butter what people know about united way to be able to focus in that work and continue to support our partners um, in that as well as create the space for us to test incubate um, and then bubble up what what we're seeing as working um, to then inform the broader field and then um, you know subsequent multi-year grant phases. So we're absolutely seeing a shift in how folks are giving um, and are restructuring the way that we do our work in a way that um, honors and supports both of those. Mm -hmm. Those ways. You shared um, coming into United Way and looking at documents and saying, wow, why don't people know this? <laughs> yeah. What are some things that you hope that people would know about United Way that may not be um, common understanding? Yeah, the, uh, United Way is providing kind of undergirding support for a number of coalitions, uh, for a number of field building kind of initiatives, um, as well as grants, and that we're granting and working on systems change in areas like career pathway development with our career academies work or food sustainability um, with Full Lives, which we you know we hope to to have a 2.0 version of that um, coming down the the pike. Um, we're in development in a number of initiative areas um, that are aligned with our overall impact areas, so early childhood education, um, career and future readiness. Uh, housing stability, fin uh, financial stability, 
workforce readiness. And so there's a host of impact areas um, or portfolios within our three impact areas that we're also developing um, initiatives around um, incubating new ideas to, mm-hmm. to support. Um, so more will come from that. But I think we are often, um, I think United Way in the past was, was in some ways taken for granted um, because it was just always there and there was a steady engine of, of corporations giving and, and all of that and, and that has shifted. Um, and it has required us to make some hard choices. I think it also has illuminated for uh, many of our partners the value. So when when uh, when it's harder to come by, I think you 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 become clear about like, oh, that that was a real value, and I didn't fully um, I didn't fully acknowledge that. And I think I've I've heard from a number of of our partners, whether they be grantees or you know, policymakers or whatnot, um, you know. United Way is a really important player in this space. Um, what can we do to support? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's been some of the upside of um, some of the, the tougher stories mm-hmm. uh, that have been out there over the last few years is yeah. that people are like, oh, you know, can't take it for granted. Like we've, we've got to demonstrate a, a value of it. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the things that I like to do is be able to, to share and to learn a little bit about um, perhaps your your journey and how you stay informed in the work. And so you have um, been in corporate America. I met you at Target. I yeah, know you that's worked right. for Big Brother, Big Sister. Yep. And then you were at Catholic Charities and now you're in philanthropy. Yep, and I started at Summit. Yep, and you started yep. at Summit. And yep. so, <laughs> you know, there that's... Um, you went to University of Iowa? I went to University of Iowa undergrad. Yeah, Hawkeye. Yep, I'm a Big Ten girl. <laughs> yep. So, you know... Knowing what I know and and coming from the the Big Ten college, <laughs> um, coming to um, to our state, like you know what what have you done that has allowed you to kind of seamlessly move through these um, different sectors? Mm-hmm. And if you if there's any um, one listening that that just wants to get a nugget of of career wisdom, yeah. Um, what would you want to share? Um, so I, uh, my nickname in college was Profiler. Uh, I like to, <laughs> I like to observe. <laughs> I don't miss much, um, and I like to listen. Uh, and I say that because um, I have been really, really fortunate to identify strong mentors. So everywhere I go, um, I'm checking for not only who's in charge from a a, a role perspective or positional authority, but like whose voice matters, um, whose ideas take root. Um, and then I wanna understand what is it about either the delivery or the deliverer um, that is resonating with whoever's in the room. Um, you know, I'm taking nuggets away from that. Uh, I also, like my slick way of, of building my mentor deck uh, is to, you know, everyone's, happy to talk about themselves. And so I set up time to do that um, and learn about people's journeys. And then I just ask if I feel a good vibe and I feel like they could have my best interest at heart and have something to offer, or I've observed them do something that I'm working on. So, you know, would you be open to meeting with me on a regular basis, say quarterly? Mm -hmm. And I've never had anyone say no. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has been, uh, you know, tremendously helpful. you have know. you have you um do you distinguish between mentorship and sponsorship? For sure. 
Um, I don't often ask for sponsorship, but have been the recipient of that for sure. Um, there was one instance in, at Target, which is where you got to be super shrewd about all of that, um, where there was a, a guy on my team who was um, a peer of my uh, my leader who um, like was in all the meetings after the meetings. You know, everyone laughed at his jokes. And he was like charming and good looking. Um, and I asked him to be my mentor. And my leader was like, why would you ask him to be your mentor? And I was like, oh, I just think he could be helpful. And, you know, she encouraged me to think like more senior. And then um, maybe two months after that, so we had been meeting, I'm sharing with him, here's what I'm working on, getting his insight. Um, about two months after we agreed to to have this relationship, they announced that he was promoted. And in our next one-on-one, I'm like, okay, so when you go in these talent planning conversations, here's what I'm expecting you to share about me. And his eyes got big and I was like, oh yeah, like I peeped it. I'm watching and I know that you play the game. My expectation is that you're playing it on my behalf. Can I count on you to do that? Um, which I don't think a lot of people do and it's, and it's often uncomfortable, with it, but as someone who's worked mm-hmm. on campaigns, it's like, you ask people when you're at the door, like, can I count on your vote? Um, so I was a very, very similar um, approach. I will also say that um, everywhere I go, I'm trying to leave it better than I found it. Like that is a pretty consistent um, theme for me. Um, and I feel such indebtedness to the the opportunities that I've had that I'm trying to make the absolute best of every opportunity. Um, you know, Al McFarland asked me that question and I was kicking myself afterward because I was like, you know, I'm really smart and you'd be hard pressed to outwork me. Um, and that's true. <laughs> and at the same time, there are lots of people who are smarter than me, who work twice as hard as me, who have not had the same opportunities. And so I am acutely aware um, that one, I have been incredibly blessed and that part of that has been in the form of folks who've been willing to say, hey, let me just, let me <laughs> let me put a little something in your ear, give you something to think about, or have gone to bat for me that I'm not even aware of. Mm-hmm. And are you playing that forward? I absolutely am. Mm-hmm. Internal and external? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here today. You know what? Before we wrap, um, mm-hmm. like I act like this is my podcast. Nope. <laughs> Before we wrap, I want to just say thank you to you because you've played that role. You continue to play that role. I love having you as a thought partner to be able to say, like, first of all, am I tripping? You know, um, to have a safe space to to have that conversation, um, to also you challenge me on a a regular basis. (laughs) That is true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I appreciate that. I I really value that. Um, You know, I believe iron sharpens iron. um, And you're one of the sharpest people I've ever met. So Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I um, appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. Um, I appreciate having you as a colleague in the in the work. Um, I think that both of us and many of um, us in the work really do understand the importance of our decisions every day, uh, mm-hmm. the implications of decisions that are acting in service to the community and decisions that maybe feel like they're not operating in service. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I believe that um, through our relationships that we can only continue to be able to build our own understanding, Mm -hmm. our ability to be courageous in our decisions, 
um, and in our willingness to push against systems that haven't always been accessible Mm -hmm. to the community. And um, I appreciate having your strength in the work with me. Oh, thank you. All right, have a good day. You too. Namaste. (laughs) Namaste. Please check out the Minneapolis Foundation website to find more episodes of this podcast, information on upcoming events, and for my book recommendations. Thank you to Weber Shadwick for their partnership and support in making this podcast come alive.